Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. We are in the book of Esther. Uh, Esther chapter 2, if you can open up your Bible or your app, whatever you have. Uh, This morning, I'm going to talk about Cinderella, the Batman, the TV show, The Bachelor, and Lenny Kravitz and The Hunger Games. It's kind of a media theme this morning. So anyway, last week we talked about time. We talked about chronos, which is a linear measure of time. It's chronology. And chronos is depicted by old man time, right? He's kind of trudging along, carrying this burden of time, where kairos is situational time. Kairos is represented by a young man with kind of wings. He's very flighty, very spontaneous. Chronos is quantitative. Kairos is qualitative Kronos is measured in minutes. Kairos is measured in moments. Kronos is a minute by minute, and Kairos is moments that vary, right? It's kind of those moments that have an impact in our lives. Where Kronos, again, that linear past, present, and future, Kairos has this eternal dimension. It's those things that you experience that are kind of life-changing, might be like the birth of your child. It wasn't just something that happened in a moment of time. It's something that changed your life for all time. (laughs) Amen. And then there's Kronos, again, it's finite. It has this idea that it's this point and then it's over where Kairos has this infinite effect on lives. And we saw how really the story of Esther is dealing with both these and how the Kairos will intersect the Kronos and change it in a powerful way. And so read with me chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, After these things, when the anger of King Ahersis, or Xerxes, it's the same, had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. If you weren't here last week, Vashti was the queen and she refused to be paraded out in front of all uh, his guests after this big party. And then they threw a big edict. They said, oh no, she does this. All the women will do this. So they banished her, took away her crown. And so now he's kind of settled down. Verse two, it says, the king's young men who attended him said, So the same thing is going on. They gave him advice last time. They're giving advice again. They said, let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem of Susa, the citadel. 
under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king. I bet it did. And he did so. I got to tell you, this chapter, I almost feel like a woman has to teach this chapter, right? Because there is just so much in this that is awful. It's just terrible. And even just reading it makes me feel bad, right, about all these things. It's like, what a terrible thing to be taking place here. And really, we see it's more of the same. We see this king who is there with all his opulence is still getting instructed by his servants. And there's this constant reversal that's taking place. Here we have that also being demonstrated. Remember last time we had the king was so organized, but then everything went chaotic when King Vashti, Queen Vashti didn't show up. There is this kind of reversal that keeps taking place here. And, and as this is happening, we see that this is actually an opportunity in some ways for these young girls who are brought before the king. In the story of Cinderella, you remember that she had her stepsisters. They were wicked, right? And Cinderella had no room to go to the ball except for the fairy godmother. Well, in this case, this is being opened up to all the ladies. Remember, before, a queen was usually selected because it would be helpful to the kingdom. It would be used to enhance, to consolidate power, to, to bring an alliance with other kingdoms. And so usually it was a person of royalty or nobility that would be brought into this position. But now whoever shoe or whoever's foot fits the shoe or slipper, right? They could be queen. So here is an opportunity in some senses for all these people who would never have the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom in this way. And then so in that way, it's kind of a, an opportunity, but there, there's a rub to this because of the word that's used, go and gather all the young virgins. It's not go and ask if they want to be a part of that. It's just go and get them. They didn't have a say in this. Right? They wouldn't say, hey, would you like to possibly be queen? No, it's just, hey, you, come and be a part of the harem. It doesn't matter if they were engaged, if they planned on going to college, if they were going to go travel Europe next year. That didn't matter, right? They just had to go. And so, once again, we see opportunity, but we see it's constrained by you have to. Again, these contrasts that are taking place in this period of time. And it pushes forward in verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, it says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shemei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. This fact that he is a Jew becomes very central to the book of Esther. His nationality is something that becomes really the focal point of the story. And so it's presented here and it's going to be presented throughout this story because of its importance. Verse six, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. 
he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther. Hadassah is the Hebrew name. It means fragrant. Esther is the Persian name, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. There is so much impacted into these small verses, or the small group of verses. First, it tells us that they are in exile, that this exile continued from the time of Babylon now into Persia. It gives us the information about Mordecai that he is Esther's cousin, and he is raising her because her mother and her father died. We don't know how they died, but Looking at the turbulent situation of exile and captivity very well could have been something brutal. The fact that both of them are dead, it may have happened at the same time. And it would be real easy to just pass by this verse without it impacting us. Esther is probably about 14 years old when this is happening. And we don't know how old Mordecai is, but he is her cousin, probably somewhat older than her. And we have no information of Mrs. Mordecai, right? We, we don't know if there is a wife involved. So can you imagine being a young man and then having to raise a daughter by yourself who wasn't your daughter, who you just had to take care of, who is now a teenager. Can you imagine being a young lady and not having a mom going through this period of your life and not having a father going through this period of life? And so if we are going to move through this story, we have to embrace the significance of this, the trauma of this, because we are talking about how life takes place and how God intersects in life, even though it seems to be done anonymously. Remember, God's name is never mentioned in this book. We never see, and the Lord said, the Lord is not mentioned at all. Again, we have fasting without prayer. We have feasting without praise. God is not seen visibly in this story, but he's felt throughout it. And so here is a young girl who has lost her mother and father is being raised by her cousin. It reminds me of Batman. It does. They probably, again, get some of these things. Do you remember the origin, the origin of Batman? What happened to him? His parents got killed, right? And it shaped who he was. It was because of that traumatic event that it pushed him forward to be the Batman. See, I wasn't that far off. There was a reason to this. And these traumatic events that take place in our life shape who we are. It forces us into a situation. And so Esther has been shaped 
by the fact that she is living in exile, by the fact that her parents have both been killed, and the fact that she's being raised by her cousin. All those things are playing in who she is at this time. It's just a terrible place to come from, but it's going to be used to shape her future. In verse 8, it says, So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. I don't know what the worst place in the harem is, but this is the best place, right? Again, I just feel like I should not be even talking about this, right? The fact that we're talking about a harem should make you kind of convulse and throw up a little inside, right? It's just like, oh, this is awful. But we see something very important taking place here. In the development of this story, there's often a person who helps or assists the hero. And that's what we see in Haggai here. It says that she pleased him. So she's off to this good start. And even more important, she found favor in his eyes. This isn't now just about how good she looks, because we keep hearing that, right? And ladies, don't you just love hearing about how good this other lady looked? Doesn't it make you feel wonderful and secure? No. It wasn't just about how good she looked. She found favor in his sight. There was something more about her character that he liked. And I've said this before, and boy, this should just be written down in your conscience somewhere. People help people they like. If you would be a likable person, it will take you far. Whether you're going to McDonald's, you're in line at the airport, In a job interview, people help people they like. Maybe all the things that she'd gone through had actually given her a character that was likable, that she didn't think she was the next big thing, that in spite of her beauty, she had a humility And it turns out to be a critical factor that made promotion possible. She was provided with seven maids, another good sign. She was given, you know, cosmetics. She had like a lifetime supply to Mac. That's the only thing I know. But immediately she's given advantage. And I wonder how much we fail to understand the depth of beauty. You can't deny when something is visibly beautiful. It just is. 
whether it's a woman, whether it's a child, whether it's a sunset, there is beauty that is there, but there's something more that takes place that makes beauty enter into our souls. And oftentimes, what really is beautiful is messy. What really is beautiful is the reality of life. You see, the things that I and my wife have gone through have put within me a deeper need for her. I don't just love my wife and I don't just think she's beautiful. I need my wife. We have been to hell and back together and she has been such a part of this journey for me. I can't imagine it without her. And that changes everything about how I see her. Because beauty is more than just what we see. It is what we live. And I wonder if sometimes we forget that beauty is actually the reality of life. The collision of what is true shows up to be something that is beautiful. Her looks got her into the king's palace, but Haggai's favor took her further. Verse 10 says, Esther had not made known her people or kindred. Again, the fact that she's Jewish is being hidden. For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So he, he's going by to find out how she's doing. He, he doesn't have access to her anymore. Now that she's in the harem, that's one of the things that happens is she's taken out of society and put into this secluded place because it's just for the king. He's, she's just there for his pleasure. But he can go by and he can ask, so how is Esther doing? What's, can you give her a message? And so he's communicating to her in these ways, and he tells her, don't let anyone know that you're Jewish. She's following his instructions or his commands. We're not told why he put these on, either people knowing her identity, it could be a threat, which later on we would see, or perhaps secrecy was an advantage to her. Perhaps her compliance is the point that she was listening to her uncle still. And he was still kind of her authority. And later we're going to see that even reverses. It almost looks like Mordecai is just pacing back and forth to find out what's going on. There's this concern and worry over Esther. He stays close. When she moved into the harem, he moved with her to keep contact with her. Verse 12 says, Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king Xerxes after being 12 months under the regulation for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. 
You got a year to look good, girls, right? Again, I just feel terrible like saying these things. But here is a year devoted just to how they look in appearance. A whole year. And when the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. So she could take whatever perfume she wanted, whatever jewelry she wanted, whatever clothing she wanted, whatever shoes she wanted, whatever purse she wanted. You can fill in the blanks. All the things that she had gotten and acquired over this time, she was able to take in with her to try and make an impact on the king. She was given whatever she desired to take into the palace. Verse 14 says, In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shagaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. This was the first series of The Bachelor, Right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know who came up with this series, and if you enjoy it, you just keep your guilty pleasure, and I'm not going to comment on it anymore, okay? I know a lot of people who love this show. Rick, I saw that hand. (laughs) Rick says, I could have been The Bachelor. There's this kind of strange presentation that all these people are just going to come for you, right? No one knows who this guy is, but they get all these women who are all, you know, beautiful and they come here to try and impress this guy and then he gets to decide which one he likes. Yeah, like that is reality, right? Never happened in my reality. That's not the way things go. And it's so strange because they have no idea who this guy is. But because of the show, because of the notoriety, they'll step into this situation. They'll start crying and they'll start fighting. And I I act like I've watched it. Um, Especially that one season. No, anyway. All this takes place just for his pleasure. He gets to make the decision. He gets to decide what's going to happen. And so... Esther is with who knows how many other bachelorettes. Probably in the hundreds. And you get one chance to make an impression on the king. And unless he calls you back, that's it. You're done and you're just a part of his harem. You don't have life outside of the harem Your life is now secluded into the palace under the watchful eye of one of the king's eunuchs. Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go in to the king, kind of reprising what just had happened, what we talked about, She asked for nothing except with Haggai, the king's eunuch, had charge of women advised. So she had a choice to take anything. She only took what Haggai had advised her. You see, because he knew what the king liked. And so he told her, whatever, 
what kind of perfume, what kind of dress, whatever he saw that would give her the advantage. She only took what he advised. Now, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Thank you for that once again. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace, there's the word royal we see over and over again, in the 10th month, which is the month of Tabath, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. A big deal. No more taxes for a while. And another feast. Remember, we see that the word feast is used more in this book than any other book, more than in Genesis by four times. Just this opulence. And what we see here happening is another reversal. Esther is going from this person who's being common to now this person who is royal. She is the queen. And it's all because of her favor with Haggai, the eunuch who was there to help them. Haggai reminds me of Lenny Kravitz's character in The Hunger Games. Remember Cena? Do you guys remember He was the one responsible for Katniss. I can't believe I'm doing this. He's the one who's responsible for Katniss getting her, you know, special outfit that would light on fire when she twirled and bringing her this attention so much so that people would notice her. And then it actually became a political statement. He ended up losing his life because of this, right? It was because of him that she was noticed. It was because of Haggai's favor that Esther had the ability to make the impression. That's why he's mentioned throughout this chapter as much as he is. The idea of royal carries us back to the place, the palace in the first scene where things fell apart with Queen Vashti. Esther is now placed into this place. And it says that he didn't just love her, but she found favor or grace, loving kindness, that he actually cared for her. Now, you have to have something within you that produces that. Oh, the beauty might capture your attention, But again, it's something deeper that captures the heart and that holds it. And so what we see in Esther is that there was more than just something that was beautiful to look at. She was a person of substance at 14 or so years of age. I wonder if we think too little of ourselves today. Verse 19, the story continues. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known 
her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Baitan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. We have a foreshadowing taking place here. This, this is an important point. The gallows. I could see if this was a movie, there would be a focus on the gallows. And there would also be a focus on the, the book that w- was written in. Because these are going to be important things later on. Gallows are going to play a role in this story later in that book that it was recorded. And it's one of those things where you see the letters left on the desk and it pans in on the letter and you go, oh no, if no one finds that letter, what will happen? All right? It's an important foreshadowing of what's going to be taking place. And so we see some things taking place. We see that Mordecai had such a strong influence on Esther. We, we see that Mordecai was a Jew and that it was very important to identify him in this way. So what he's doing is acknowledging his heritage, no doubt instructing her on who his people, their people were and are. The constant referral about being Jewish, it was from where they came. It's interesting that there is no word in the Hebrew for history. Whenever you see it in the Old Testament scripture, we use it that way to give us a reference, but the word is actually memory. You see, it wasn't that this was just a chronological thing. This was a memory of who we are. It's trying to move us from that chronos to that kairos. This isn't just about, oh, this is what has happened. It's about this is who we are. And so this is our memory, not just something that happened in the past, but something that connects to us today. It was not just who they were. It was who they belonged to, who they were supposed to be the people of Yahweh. It is this that is being brought into the moment here. The understanding of them has a lot more meaning than just a nationality. It has to do with their belief and what they as a people were supposed to be to the world. See, history plus destiny equals identity. Who you were and who you are supposed to be is supposed to be who you really are. I wonder, who are we? Who are we supposed to be as followers of Christ? Paul says that in Christ, he is creating one family. We are supposed to represent 
this family, that, that it is supposed to develop within us a character. You know, we as people use nature. We, we manipulate nature and its environments for our, ourself. We'll cut down trees and use the wood to build houses. We'll, we'll build ships and go across oceans. We, we use metal and make cars. We use computer things and make computers, however that works, right? We, we manipulate all the environment around us so that we can use it to our advantage. And what we see in the book of Esther is God working through nature to create environments as well to work for his advantage. See, Esther could not help being beautiful. It it was who she was. She couldn't thank herself. She could thank her parents. So that was a part of who she was. She couldn't help being beautiful. Haggai couldn't help but favoring Esther because of how she was. And the king could not help following, falling in love with Esther because of the favor she'd been shown through Haggai and through the beauty that had been given her by God. And so we see God doing the same thing, working through all these things to produce something that is going to be of significance. You and I have been prepared with everything that we need. What you need to be, you already have. Your DNA contains everything that God had intended you to have that is the stuff that he is going to work with. We may not be as beautiful to look at as Esther, but what is needed to be who we are is there within us. But we are not restricted just by these things. That's not all of who you are. You bring into this much more. You bring into it attitude. You bring into it zeal. You bring into it care, compassion, concern. You bring into this DNA all these things that are around you that you can take and use, all the things that you've gone through that you can take and use, all the things that have been put on you that you can take and use, the good, the bad, the ugly, the tragic, or the things that have been given are now tools in your hands to produce a life that can be useful that can serve God's purposes. And what God has engineered, God can energize. And what we can do is wait in this chronos chronology of time, this linear life that we are living in for those kairos moments to push us into something more significant. It is the character that gives us favor. 
that gives us the opportunity, that gives us the voice and the power to be used. And when that happens, we want to fill that nudge by God's Spirit to step into those moments and make the most of them. So whatever you are going through, whatever you have been through, if your parents have died, if you have been orphaned, if you have been raised by people who did not do a good job as far as parenting is concerned, if you have been neglected, if you have been abused, if you have been hurt, all these things that happen are not without significance. They're not without purpose. What has to happen has to happen within us and allow the beauty of reality as difficult and as tragic as it is be what God uses to move you into the lives of those around you because you belong to a history, to a memory that is continuing now through the Spirit of God and what he has done in Christ and what he is doing in the church. This is significant. This is powerful. What the world needs is the reality of who you are, not what they think you should be. That's why people are shying away from the church. It doesn't look like me. But when we show up as we really are, the world can see us and say, me too. I've been through that too. I've been hurt too. I've been in that situation too. And when they see Christ in you, the hope of glory, it gives them hope, but it can only be seen in the beauty and the reality of who we really are. Part of the challenge of this book is to step into that reality, to acknowledge those things and to find the places where we can find favor so that we can be used in the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, we have grown up hearing stories whether it be Cinderella, whether it be Batman, whether it be the Hunger Games, whether it be TV shows, we have grown up hearing stories of how all these things are supposed to go from bad to good. But the truth is, life is messy. Life is difficult. And Esther is who she is because of all that has happened in her life. She was raised by her cousin. She lost her parents. She was living in exile. She was put into a harem. One of hundreds of young girls at a young age. And the beauty of this is she is the person who you used to change history. Lord, may we not shy away from the reality that we're living in, the mess that we're living in. May we take those things that would be considered 
weakness and allow you to use them for strength. To take what is for us unbecoming and you to use it in a way that shows true beauty. God, may we allow you to retell the story of our lives because we step into the life that you have created. God, I want to pray for all those who have been hurt by people, by situations. Life has leveled them. May that be the DNA of your redemption. Lord, may we take the brokenness that we find ourselves in and see that your fingerprints are found right there, that you don't have to take away the hurt, that you are in the midst of the hurt and you are able to use it to make us who you can use. Father, help us to see the beauty and the reality that we are living in. As hurtful as it's been, as difficult as it's been, may we see you present there. We ask in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May the history, the memory of all that has happened in your life and the destiny of what God has for you produced the identity of who you really are. May you embrace that identity and step forward when the time is right to be who you need to be. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. See you next week. See you Wednesday. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.